Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Aaron is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Aaron Peterson. Hi there, and welcome back to Big Fish in the Talent Pool, Episode 9. This is your host, Erin Peterson. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to lead hiring for an organization with 270,000 employees? Well, today I'm talking with Carly Sanchez, the EVP, Talent Acquisition, Strategy and Delivery, and Diversity Recruiting for Wells Fargo. And if you think it sounds like she wears a lot of hats while overseeing 90,000 hires annually, you're correct. She's a very big fish with a very big job. What I discovered is that Carly is uniquely qualified for a challenging organization like Wells Fargo based on her early training in Ivy League admissions and years managing diversity and inclusion and recruitment for some of the most complex firms during some of the most difficult times in the financial services industry. She's got the chops, as they say, the experience and the grace to handle it all with finesse. So let's get right to it. Here comes Carly Sanchez with Wells Fargo. We are here with Carly Sanchez of Wells Fargo. She is the EVP of Talent Acquisition Strategy and Delivery. And welcome, Carly, to the Thank Big Fish you. Podcast. It's great to be here and be part of this. It is great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to your beautiful offices in San Antonio. Uh, you are global, worldwide. Obviously, you have offices all over. Tell me what is located here in San Antonio. The San Antonio is a is a smaller hub for us, although it is a growing hub. Um, as you know, San Antonio itself is growing, and Wells Fargo's presence here is. We have um, a small human resources team here, so that isn't what keeps me here uh, because my team is really, as you mentioned, global. But we also have a number of our call centers and other operations here in San Antonio. How many employees do you have globally, Carly? Globally, we have about two hundred and seventy thousand employees. Wow. That's so pretty big group. So what does that mean in terms of hiring on an annual basis? Our hiring um, is approximately 90,000 hires per year, and that's okay. a, almost evenly split between internal and external, so about 50-50. Okay. Um, internal promotions or job changes and external new hires to the company. Wow. Um, and so you are responsible for uh, all of that, which means you must spend some time with regard to the succession planning, workforce planning with your HR leader counterparts, I would imagine, to Abs make sure that absolutely. people are being pushed forward. Yeah, our COEs really partner mm -hmm. closely together, and so our team that manages succession planning, uh, particularly with an emphasis on an eye to diversity for our senior leader positions, works closely, for example, with our executive recruiting team. Uh, we work with talent strategy and, and development so that we can think about next steps as we bring people in and consider the whole to holistic talent cycle, okay. uh, not just the hiring. Okay. Super interesting. Okay, we will get into all of that. And uh, but first, I just want to make sure that I understand sort of the size and scope of what you are um, working with these days in order to hire 90,000 people, half of which are internal, but regardless, super important uh, as external. 
How large is your team? How, how do you quantify the, the effort that is necessary to do all that? So our team includes not only the recruiting teams, but we also encompass a, a diversity and inclusion consultants. We have affirmative action and EEO, and then we have branding and advertising. We have selection and assessment, as well as a targeted uh, and uh, targeted partnerships and diversity hiring. So it's all of those pieces along with our recruiting teams that and we're about a thousand people right now now that we're globally centralized. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and uh, RPO, Does, do you have any part of your business we don't. with RPO? We don't okay. at this point. I think mm -hmm. we are really managing internally and it's helped us since we centralized the team because we're much more able to flex resources for capacity management. Okay. So that's been a recent change over the last year and a half. I think you'll see that change, you know, a number of companies have centralized and then sometimes reversed and decentralized. But mm -hmm. in our case, it really helps us to be more centrally managed and it reflects the change in the business strategy as well. Okay. So you mentioned employment branding. I'd love to hear more about uh, how you, first of all, you know, monitor your employment brand. Um, everyone needs to do it. I think one would argue, especially recently, there's been some interesting things going on at Wells Fargo, probably making a case for more monitoring than ever before. Right. How, we, uh, describe your process. How do you monitor that? So we have a great team that, and it's a small but mighty team, I will tell you. Um, Wells Fargo, as you know, has been through some um, ups and downs in the last year and a half, and that has not been easy for the team. And so, of course, it was really important that we monitor the response to our hiring efforts as well. So we do a lot on social media, and Wells Fargo as a whole, as well as our team, uh, has a great social media monitoring process so mm -hmm. that we can really actually see the responses, see keywords that might be popping up, uh, be able to see negative responses that perhaps are uh, in indicators of a broader sentiment about uh, what's going on. And I will tell you that we'll write back to folks Great. and answer those negative responses and really try to address those directly. It's amazing the kind of response you get when you do that. Uh, folks will say, I didn't know anybody was actually going to read that or respond. <laughs> Not yeah. sure I would have written it if I had. Um, but so we're constantly monitoring that um, and using resources that are out there. You know, of course, Glassdoor. We have a number of different organizations that we'll partner with. Mm -hmm. uh, we do internal and external surveys uh, for recruiting teams and not only to look at how our recruiters are doing, but the negative side. So anybody who is not hired, we're surveying. And so that's another key area for us so that we can determine what the candidate experienced, why they didn't um, end up getting hired, and if there was a downside of that from our perspective that we should be fixing so that we can ensure that, that we're seeing that side. But I will tell you that what we're seeing is 95 to 98% of the offers we extend are being accepted. So that's super high, and that means for us that once we're able to work with people and really describe the opportunity that is at Wells Fargo still, um, they're coming. Wow. And that's great. That's really impressive. A 98% accept right. rate? It is. Okay. Interesting. And we'll, we'll talk a little more about metrics as well, which great. I'm really interested in, especially at this scale. I mean, that, the data matters. It's a challenge. Right? It, and the data absolutely so, matters. Let's talk more about your career, Carly. You've been here at Wells Fargo for five years. You uh, have spent your, really your entire career in financial services between SunTrust Bank, AIG, American General Life Companies, and then USAA prior to that. 
So um, what's your perspective? My guess is when you're commuting, uh, occasionally you, you ponder and you think about what you've learned over all of this time, especially being in the talent space in financial services. What, what do you think about? Well, it is. A, it has been an interesting roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Is probably the best word that you could use. So, so, if you think about the fact that in the downturn of 2008, I was at AIG during that downturn, mm -hmm. and then rebuilding back up again, um, and then after that, joined SunTrust. Had been at USA prior to that, as you mentioned, and so I thought that was a once in a lifetime experience at AIG, and it turned out that we were going to have some um, challenges at Wells Fargo that we hadn't anticipated as well. Um, all good things to have gotten fixed and to be really working on fixing. But when you think about that, the talent needs of the financial services, it's really been impacted by that roller coaster. And it was not just, of course, the companies that I worked in that were going through the downturns of 2008. And so, um, one of the challenges that we've seen is the need for additional risk management mm -hmm. and the critical importance of information security, risk management. And so not only do you have the key areas within the financial services that will always be there, whether it's investment banking or it's our frontline customer service for our teller group um, and how we serve our, our customers, but you have that huge layer on top of that, which is how do you manage risk in a very challenging environment? And and so for us, when we're looking at talent, what we're seeing real upticks in is the need for top risk management, not only people who are risk professionals, but people who are in all those other areas but have a real lens uh, of risk okay. and risk management. And, and you know, in addition to that, as you know, information security has gotten to be so much of a challenge that that's another key area for the financial services is how do we protect the information of our customers, and that becomes the top priority. Right. And so those are areas beyond the traditional financial services that have become very dominant in the war for talent. Mm -hmm. Do you find that your leaders that you're working with are more willing and able than ever to listen to ideas on real change? Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I will tell you that I think they get tired occasionally because they're not only doing their job, but they're really thinking about evolving the organization. On the other hand, I think that has energized the team because they really can see the impact. It's, you know, almost a once in a lifetime opportunity to completely rethink, redesign an organization with a big impact to be able to think about how best to operate that's not only a and not only effective in serving customers, but actually manages that risk. Absolutely. So it is a, it's a challenge, but it's also a big opportunity. You're one of the most unique talent acquisition leaders I've ever seen because you previously have held the title of Chief Diversity Officer for an organization. Now you hold the title of the EVP of uh, Talent Acquisition Delivery and Strategy, but diversity recruiting is under that uh, heading as well right and so it's it honestly it's unique in my mind to bring someone who has previously been a chief diversity officer and morph them into someone who leads all of talent acquisition. How did that happen? And, and how do you wear so many hats? So it actually is stemmed from early on in my career. So I started out in higher education 
and started out in admissions work, college admissions work. Right. And so a large part of that college admissions work, um, my first big job in college admissions was back at my undergraduate school, which was Harvard. And there was a huge emphasis on finding strong, diverse, unique talent that maybe didn't think about the opportunity that might be available. And so that was super important to me. My family had grown up uh, with education as a key priority. Uh, not a lot of opportunities in their background, but they created those opportunities. And so for me, um, being able to help others to find opportunities and talent was important. And so as I switched into the corporate world, I kept that that combined lens of diversity and talent. And so starting out with, with both um, staffing roles, as they were used to be called, talent acquisition roles, always had that lens of, of diversity. And there were times, for instance, at AIG during either before the downturn or then after the downturn. For American General Life, which is one of the AIG companies, I was both Chief Diversity Officer and Head of Talent Acquisition. And then after the downturn, I took on the global role for AIG as Chief Diversity Officer and Head of Talent Acquisition. So it has sort of followed me throughout my career. And I think because of my own personal commitment to that, as well as my um, incorporation of that into everything that we did in talent acquisition to ensure that we had broad opportunities available to everyone, um, that became a real, um, I guess, just a hallmark of the way that I've operated. And so I've been very fortunate to be able to, to keep a lens on both. And tell me about your assessment then, uh, kind of looking long term backwards and forwards. Have we made real progress and is, is there progress being made? I would say that we still have a journey ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is certainly, um, you know, at Wells Fargo there is a very strong emphasis on it. it is it is a key value for us and goal. Um, and so there is no question at all that there is a f strong focus on that. Uh, Wells Fargo as a whole it has a strong, diverse population. So uh, well over 45% uh, are diverse. But when you get to the senior leadership roles, that's typical of where you see the challenge for many corporations. And I think that's our biggest challenge. So while we're continuing to evolve in that way, and our executive recruiting team has done a phenomenal job of sourcing great talent and bringing great diverse talent, so we're making progress in that. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing the impact of really a focus on that. But it does take that focus for companies to make a difference. Our board has been very diverse, and so it gives that view for folks who are coming up through the organization that it is possible to achieve those senior roles as well. And so with having diversity at the top of the house, we have a number of women in very senior roles in the organization, leading businesses, um, our chief administrative officer. So for women and people of color and diversity in all dimensions, I think it's so important to be able to see a board and senior officers that are diverse. Otherwise, the message is we're going to tell you that it's important, but you're not going to see yourself in those roles. Right. Right. So. And uh, one might argue as well that organizations tend to go adrift if they don't have diversity of thought on the board and in leadership. Sticking with diversity and inclusion as a topic for a moment because, you, you know, I hardly ever get a chance to speak to somebody who has so much experience in that realm. So measurement of diversity and inclusion I think has been stuck a little bit in, you know, neutral for years in regards to let's measure how many diverse people we sourced or let's measure how many diverse people we hired or lost or whatever. 
What else is there to measure that you advocate, and what, what's the most important metric in diversity and inclusion? Well, it goes back, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, it goes back to that full cycle, life cycle for, for team members. And so one of the things that we're trying to do a much better job of is not only look at that front end, even actually prior to someone becoming a candidate, but how do we source? What's our ROI on partnerships that we may have? Um, are they effective partnerships? Um, are we actually seeing talent that's converting to, to hires for us when we're spending um, a time with with uh, particular partnerships. Uh, looking at then our hiring, we've changed some things like making sure that we have diverse slates of candidates at those senior level positions, um, ensuring that our interview teams are diverse, and, and we're measuring that. That goes up to our Enterprise Diversity and Inclusion Council that's chaired by our CEO. We review those metrics to make sure that we're seeing changes there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really then promotions, how many people are being promoted. So it's one thing to bring people in, but what's happening to them when they get there? Right. So you had asked earlier about our relationship with the other COEs, mm -hmm. and that's where that's really key. So we are partnering not only in our team, which has affirmative action consulting, but our diversity and inclusion consulting, working directly with the businesses to think how we do a better job from our perspective. But then it also has to do with the training of all team members. It Unconscious bias, as you know, is, is, is a major issue, mm -hmm. and so our team and all of our teams across the enterprise are getting trained in that. We partner with succession planning, but we're also looking at, gee, do we have any targeted programs, and what's the ROI from that? So we see, for example, we have diverse leader programs, so there is a diverse leader program for Latinos, for all the diverse dimensions that you can think of. We have a new one for veterans. And what we find is the diverse leaders who go through those programs, that's another metric, are getting promoted at a much higher rate. And so we're actually measuring at each step of the life cycle rather than looking at whether... Just the ins and just outs. Just the ins and outs. Mm -hmm. Okay, Correct. really, really interesting. And is engagement a factor? Do, uh, do, you, do you measure that we by do. protected class or by diversity groups or affinity groups? How, how does that look? We look overall at team member engagement through right. surveys, but mm -hmm. then we also look to see if we see any patterns. Of course, it's right. all anonymous. We don't know yeah. who the team member is that, that might have taken a particular survey or group of team members, but we are able to look at the diversity of the um, responses so that we can see, are we seeing a challenge in engagement in a particular diversity? dimension. Uh, what we find actually is that our um, team members are emphasizing that they feel very strongly that overall the culture of Wells Fargo supports diversity and inclusion. Um, and then engagement is always, as you know, it's really often swings right back to whether a particular manager is a strong manager yes. or not. Right. And so that's a challenge that we will all face. And so it's important for us to continually be getting feedback and ensuring that uh, we're able to see where we may need or have opportunities to encourage um, managers to be stronger leaders. Right. So we have a whole new set of leadership competencies that we've rolled out this year. Okay. And that's going to be important. And those are for individual contributors as well as leaders of people. So those leaders, everybody is expected to be a leader and has within them leadership. Right. Agility. Um, I'm hearing much more. 
much less these days about IQ and EQ. It's now about AQ, isn't it? It Ad is. Adaptability, adaptability agility, agility, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which I think is super interesting because of that statistic we've all heard, and that is by 2030, you know, half the jobs we won't have heard of at this point. That, that's right. I'm making that up, but it's one of those statistics. Um, so there you go. We all better Absolutely. be agile. We better be agile. <laughs> and our team is finding that that is the key word for our team. So, uh -huh. you know, they've been shifting. We've been through three organizational models in the last 18 months. Right. And so, you know, I wow. think they really are constantly shifting and changing. And it's and the ability to understand the why behind that and the how behind that as opposed to just the what. Right. And then shift and be able to explain it to your team. That's yeah, critical for sure so what should accelerate things and usually promises but doesn't always deliver is technology do you have favorite technologies you're looking at right now and how do you sort through the menagerie that's Tech, uh, recruitment technology. We have a wonderful team that we partner with that that um, really helps us stay abreast of all of the new technologies that are out there. Now, I will tell you that doesn't mean we have all the new technologies that are yeah. out there, but we are building a long-term strategy in terms of where we're going with technology. So right now, I would say the one that we're moving toward is um, on-demand interviewing. Okay. Now, that's not new for a number of companies, but for mm -hmm. us, it is a little bit of a, a challenge when we have two and a half million candidates right. to um, incorporate that, figure out how to make that operate, et cetera. But that will be for us, that will be a big boon to ha helping reduce time to fill. Yeah. Because right now, if you think about the, the number of hours our recruiters are spending scheduling, um, our talent staffing specialists helping with scheduling, it's a lot of hours invested in the just administrative aspects of that. And yeah. so what we're trying to do is cut out all the less value add pieces of the administrative process and move to utilizing technology where, you know, particularly in this day and age, Folks are living on their mobile phones. They are living through right. um, just being able to, to do something at midnight if it's convenient for them. Right. And so what we have to be able to do is be able to be responsive and have our technology support them whenever. So if they have time to do an interview at 11 o'clock at night on a Thursday night, that's when they should be able to at least do their first round of interviews. Now, right. that doesn't mean we won't at some point you know, have second round that may be, you know, personal for many of the roles, but um, we are moving toward that kind of, of technology to be much more on demand. Right. So who gave you your first chance in a corporate environment? Corporate environment, uh, my first chance really came and, and circles back to Harvard. So my husband um, was at Harvard when I was working there he was getting his doctoral degree there and so when we he finished we left and started our around the country uh, tour of uh, dual career duty awesome. and he had a job in San Antonio and so when we got here I made the decision to shift out of higher ed uh, since I had been doing that for a long time and see if I could shift and use those same skills in a corporate world and so uh, just as new people to San Antonio we went to a Harvard alumni meeting, oh. and one of the alums said, gee, USAA is our big dominant company here. And my dad, having been in the service, was a USAA member. Oh, cool. And so I applied, and there just happened to be a position that was open for um, heading up the college recruiting team 
-hmm. and building that team. So for me, it was perfect. And I was very fortunate that one of the senior leaders um, had talked to the Herbert alum and said, gee, well, let's at least bring her in for an interview, even though she doesn't have corporate experience. Yeah. So that person was really key for me to just open that door enough to say, Let's see if that if that talent translates into a corporate world. Okay. So I started in college admissions, which is still near and dear to my heart, mm -hmm. and then went to the broader hiring and um, recruiting role as well as some diversity work there, and then yeah. I built from there. Right. I also started in campus recruiting, and I have to say, I'm with you. It is the lifeblood it of is. any organization that cares about entry-level talent. And it's some of the hardest work I've ever done, right? It is 24-hour-a-day work. 24-7 and physical. It like is you have to, very you have physical. to lift all those boxes exactly. into your car and make your way to campus. Take the and, displays with yeah. you and everything right. else and work until whatever hour at night. Yeah. You know, and now even the, the digital component, I think, is taking over on it campus, is. but you still need to go to campus. You do and, still need and, to. And it's building the relationships with the students, yeah. the faculty, the deans, everybody. It's yeah. not just a matter of, of you know, being able to do now uh, on-demand interviews, you really still need to have that presence. Right. But I agree with you. It I is agree. a lifeblood. It's so fun. And plus, I love millennials. I so do the more I can spend time with the millennials, the happier I am. We have some wonderful interns and, and in now, our team. And now Gen Z. So okay, actually, Gen Z is the ones on campus these days. So, um, so, so what kind of strategies are you thinking of for those different generations? Does it change for you in terms of how you approach them? It does, and I would say mm -hmm. that's an ongoing conversation for us. So we think about you know, just the use of mobile and social media and how we're branding and, and changing so that there's more um, embedded video for talking about the experience of being a team member in a particular role, et cetera. So, um, I think that doesn't sound like it's it's new, but it is constantly evolving for us to be able to think about how do uh, how does Gen Z, how do millennials like to to uh, connect with us? And so our team spends a lot of time in looking at that and really thinking about how can we use any of the uh, the um, available social media that's out there, and then how do we think about jobs? So once they come, then the challenge is how do you stay keep folks engaged. As we know, the millennials, and I'm sure Gen Z, are very fast burners in terms of wanting to move from job to job, um, grow quickly, et cetera. And that's a challenge in a more traditional environment to be able to really think how we uh, meet that need and keep people engaged. I will tell you that one of the things that has really helped Wells Fargo is that we have a huge emphasis on community service and a lot of time devoted to community service, and that has been very important in our ability to attract uh, particularly millennials. Um, that is, is something that they look for, and it is well embedded in the work that Wells Fargo does. Our teams are always out there. Uh, we give time off for community service, um, and so that has been something that has been a necessary balance of it's not only about your work, but it's about how you're involved in your community. Right, yeah, and that uh, ends up being part of that relationship thing, right? We, we are attracted to brand, but we buy relationship. If you feel like the relationship reflects your values, Absolutely. then uh, it, makes, it makes sense. Uh, you know, my audience is largely aspiring talent acquisition leaders, and I think it's important for them to hear that uh, if you're gonna take some risks in your career and reach for the stars, that there are gonna be bumps along the way. I just, I'd love it if you have an example of a situation where you just learned a lot from something you wish you'd done differently. Yeah, I, I would say that the thing that that I 
can see, and it's actually interesting because it came out in a study, and my background is Hispanic and Irish. Um, and so the culture that my, from my dad's family, the Latino culture, um, actually impacted and drove to one of the things that I think was a challenge for me in my career. Mm -hmm. And there was a recent study um, done that talked about exactly this thing, and I'll tell you a bit about that, that said this can be a derailer because it is a cultural issue and one that can really stop people in their tracks. And that is that in the Latino culture, um, senior leadership is and hierarchy is something oh, yeah. that it has a huge um, impact. And so the idea of networking with senior leaders or reaching out to, and getting to know senior leaders if it is not somebody for whom there is a hierarchical reason for you to connect, yeah. that respect for, for hierarchy, that respect for um, leadership often caused me to, to hold back and not necessarily network or drive and um, build those networks in a way that could have been advantageous. So when there were challenges that may have come up in downturns, et cetera, I didn't have that network at the top of the house. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a lesson that I had to, to think about and, and learn uh, because I had to think about what was holding me back from just picking up the phone and saying, you know, I want to meet with the chief risk officer. You know, for me, why would I take their time if there wasn't a real business reason that I had to meet with the chief risk officer? Right. And so I've had to really think about, you know, two things. One is as we centralized, there were business reasons that I needed to, to meet with the senior officers on a much more regular basis. And so now I have a regular interaction with them all the time. Not an issue at all. But as I was coming up in my career, others were much more likely to just say, I'm going to go get to know this person and that person, and I was less likely to feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. So I think there are ways to use mentors and sponsors to help you with that. Mm -hmm. And I would just emphasize the importance of having, having mentors and sponsors as you move through your career. Yeah. And I know that's been a big theme for you mm -hmm. and something you've built here at Wells Fargo. Uh, so in the case that you describe, if there was someone you thought you should meet, or maybe someone said, hey, you should get to know so-and-so, how would you have used a mentor or asked a mentor to help you navigate? What, what would that look like? I think that like? at this point, you know, and I have people now asking me for that, uh -huh. I think about who's a good connection for them to have that um, make that um, touch point yeah. or how can I make that introduction and say gee here's somebody and they are an up-and-comer they have um, a lot of talent that we're seeing and they actually are thinking about a role that's in your organization would you be willing to spend 15 minutes with them just talking about that and you know what I've never been turned down by a senior yeah. leader to make that connection right. with um, somebody who may be much more junior in their career so I think it's a matter of thinking broadly and thinking openly as well and so I really encourage my mentees to think about not only what's the job you're doing now but what are the other things that might be appealing to you and let's get you connected with folks to learn more about those things early on before you need to find that job yeah and you actually are meeting those folks so I do think that it, it is incumbent upon us to pay it forward mm -hmm. I've had people do that for me in my career and it's really incumbent upon me to to say I'll pick up the phone and call and I can think of a couple cases in the last month where that's happened and never a turn down. Okay. I've never had one person turn me down to have a conversation. Right. Yes. People want to help people. They do. I think in general that's Absolutely. the case. And so it, then it's just a matter of working out the timing yeah. or 
making space or whatever. So. Yeah, and I think as long as you're saying, I just it's 15, 30 minutes versus can you spend a half a day or walking have lunch. Or have lunch. Lunch is hard. It's yeah. really hard. Mm -hmm. So just a 15, 30 minute conversation right. is important. Right. Love it. Okay, great advice. Um, and so speaking of advice, what advice do you have to an ambitious, let's call it mid-level recruiter who has set their sights on being the top talent acquisition and diversity leader in the organization. What, what advice do you give them? So first of all, and we have some great talent in our organization, um, continuing to grow and ed to self-educate I think is important. So reading a lot, um, if you don't ha haven't continued with your, your education, um, either formally or informally, it's important to stay abreast. You ask, uh, you know, how do we learn about the latest technology? So really understanding, reading articles about AI, reading as much as you can is important in your free time, <laughs> which yeah. of course nobody has any, no. um, to continue to be aware of that. But I think that the other thing that we have been trying to do with our uh, top talent is to involve them in more enterprise efforts so that they get that exposure and that leadership. Mm -hmm. And so we have a big end-to-end -end project is what we call it, and that's again, uh, we're taking going down to one common process across all of our recruiting teams. So we try to bring those folks in so that they're seeing how do you drive a major initiative or project? How do you work with senior leaders in that way? How do you understand the finance behind it? How do you understand the businesses across all businesses, not just your business and so doing uh, seeing how you can get involved not only within talent acquisition but if there are other opportunities for example we've been redesigning the HR model mm -hmm. um, I've encouraged people even if they don't have a lot of free time to sit on some of those work streams that are looking and re-examining the whole HR model so that they're meeting senior HR business partners, they're meeting wow. um, learning and development leaders, they're le meeting people across, and some of our most senior HR leaders as well, um, so that they are getting a broader perspective besides just doing their role. Well, Carly, this has been an absolute delight. I always want to give an opportunity, though, to my guests to say anything else that's on your mind, anything you would um, advise my listeners or thoughts you've had regarding how to do what we do better and anything that I didn't ask you about that you wish. Thanks, that's a great uh -huh. opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think it is just so important for us in today's world to really be thinking about the talent broadly and thinking about the fact that it really needs to reflect a changing world and that the changing world is so diverse and evolving that we can't keep a singular lens on who our talent might be in two years, in five years, in 10 years. And so I think for all of our teams, it's really important for us to, to constantly be open to new ideas and new talent because that is a constantly shifting and changing demographic. Yes, indeed. And uh, the future is bright. It is think, bright. Right? It's exciting yeah. and a great area to be working in right now. Yes. So I'd encourage people to dive in, stay involved, and grow mm -hmm. your career there. It's a lot of fun. Love it. All right. Thank you again. Thank you. <laughs> Whew. Well, when you have someone as smart and articulate as Carly, it's really hard to stop asking questions. And I thought it was particularly interesting to hear how she and her team have managed the employment branding challenges coming out of the recent Wells Fargo business and PR issues. You know, it's easy to throw stones at big companies, but if you ever find yourself in a similar situation, leading TA at an organization in crisis, you'll have a great example to follow in Carly. 
Thanks again for joining us for Episode 9 of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. Please remember to rate and review our content. It will help other talent professionals find us. And don't miss our next episode. I'll be interviewing Vera Stamenkovic, the VP of HR and Global Recruiting Leader for Aero Electronics. They're a Fortune 120 electronics components innovator based in Denver. So until next time, thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.